at my feed. What do you see? The Pope of Positivity. Good morning out there, boys and girls of the neighborhood. It is 6.40 a.m. on a Saturday morning. My name is DC Matthews at DC Matthews NAI, and welcome to a special edition of the Pontificast. Yeah, I know I have two solo shows, and I probably should just pick one name, but... One of them is a fantasy booking show, and one of them is just a regular DC Talks About the World sort of show. And that's what this is. I have some fantasy booking ideas, and I hopefully will get the chance to share those with you uh, later. I did not do my usual post-pay-per-view Uh, by the book, Uh, and you'll also have noticed that there was no DDT wrestling this week, or at least I should say uh, there has yet to be a DDT wrestling this week. Uh, You know, life is really busy. Life is really busy. I am sure you can relate, and I'm sure that many of you probably do not have a huge amount of sympathy uh, for me uh, specifically, you know, because, and I'm using my world-famous air quotes here, you're a teacher. You're a teacher. You have an easy job. You don't have to work weekends. You get out at 3.45. And, you know, part of that is true. I, I do not have a job that requires me to lift hundreds of pounds. I do not have a job that requires me to be on my feet 14 to 16 hours a day. Uh, I am not to quote uh, one of the lines from my favorite TV show in the world, The West Wing. I am not uh, sewing soccer balls with my teeth. So, you know, I get it. I I have a pretty, uh, I won't call it easy because it is not an easy job, but in terms of the schedule, uh, I I should not complain. But this was a busy week nonetheless. Plus, and it's not just me. As for Doc Manson, Doc Manson had a busy week as well. You know, <clears throat> he is a homeowner. I don't know if you have seen uh, his Halloween post, you know, of Manson Manor. Have you seen that? Do you know the amount of work that goes into keeping a house like that? You've got a yard. You've got to hire gardeners. He's got to hire, you know, interior people to keep the house looking nice. Somebody's got to take care of the official dog of the neighborhood, Oscar. You know, like he's got to manage a a cleaning staff of at least, I don't know, seven to eight people just to keep his, you know, his land looking good. So as he's sitting out there on his veranda, you know, gazing over the countryside, you know, he's got to make sure that those those workers are doing their job. You know, sometimes the mint juleps don't fill themselves. You got to go into the kitchen. You got to, you know, crush the ice. You got to do all of those sort of things. So I'm joking, obviously. Part of it's because I'm pretty sure Doc Manson's never going to listen to this show. So I can say things like this. Uh, But he's had a busy job. He's got, he actually has had some uh, home ownership issues. We're probably going to get together later this weekend, perhaps even later today. We have some tentative, you know, discussions in place. Uh, we might even be doing a live in person. I actually get to sit next to the man, um, sort of podcast. Maybe we can drag Mrs. Manson in on that as well. 
So, you know, we, we here at DDT Wrestling will be providing you the content that you so richly deserve. Uh, and really, with the NAI Network and other podcasts, you know, I love the NAI Network and you should too, but there's tons of stuff out there. Um, for you to listen to, I, you know, I am sure we have been missed, but I am sure you can find other means of, of getting your entertainment and specifically your wrestling entertainment. I don't think, um, you have absolutely needed our specific, uh, Hell in a Cell and Raw and SmackDown coverage this week, (laughs) though that's what I'm going to provide for you right now. Um, and, you know, besides even podcasts, you by all means, listen to as many podcasts as you want. But read a book, people. Read a book. And I'm going to give you a book recommendation because I have been um, obsessed would be a fairly decent word. Uh, I've been reading a series. I just, you know, I, I have a small collection of books. And besides the the wrestling collection, which I believe I've tweeted out pictures of, you know, I've got some Dean Kuntz, the Frankenstein series. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of random stuff. I'm actually looking over there. Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Um, if you are at all interested in what goes on in a professional kitchen, that's a book I would recommend. You know, I've got a bunch of things, but as a teacher, I'm interested in sort of, you know, children's books and young adult books. And so I have a bunch of young adult fantasy sort of books. You know, Artemis Fowl is a name many of you might be familiar with. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Heroes of Olympus is another name. Do you remember? This is, you know, I don't know if this will translate to our fans abroad in the NAI UK, but do you remember American people? Do you remember when you were in school and you would get the scholastic book order? Do you remember these things, these flyers that would come out? And usually you'd get a bunch of them. You wouldn't just get one. You'd get a bunch of them. And it would have all of these books and you could go home and, you know, your families could send in um, money, usually in the form of a check. Now they do it online. Uh and and you could order books, and then the books would come in this big white box, and it was an exciting day. Well, obviously, they still do it. I had literally just gave um, the students in my room, you know, their, their holiday book orders. I, and in one of them, the reason I bring it up is, uh, you know, they have the Heroes of Olympus, which is the sequel series to the Percy Jackson, which I believe is like the Gods of Olympus series. Um, you know, they have the five paperbacks for like $25. I might actually have to place an order this year. Um, but those aren't the books I was recommending. Uh, Mrs. Matthews is a fan of reading. She is a voracious reader and she was kind of in that moment where she had finished the books. Now, Shannon Scott at Rebel Dentist NAI is not going to understand this because Shannon has a book list that's like a mile long. She's always got hundreds of books that she's waiting to read. Um, but you know, Mrs. Matthews had finished the series that she was working on and she was kind of waiting I've spoken at length about the benefits of your local library and the interlibrary loan system. So she was waiting for new books to come in. And so she was kind of, you know, looking for something else to read. And so I went to my little personal library and I picked out some things for her just because, you know, she also enjoys, um, you know, some of those books, um, similar kinds of things. So I picked out um, the beginning of the Bartimaeus trilogy, which I can talk about at length, but that's not the series I'm talking about. And I picked out um, book one of Jonathan Flanagan's Ranger's Apprentice series. And 
she'd passed on it, but I was like, oh, I haven't read this book in a while, so I read it. And that was last weekend. And I'm telling you, I almost took a day off just to read. And I, I didn't, which is probably for the best, uh, but I am currently just starting book seven of the series. So if you want to do the math, I've been reading about a book a day, maybe a little more than a book a day. And they're young adult books or a couple hundred pages. It's not, you know, extreme amounts of reading, but this series is fantastic. And I think a lot of the people in the neighborhood um, would appreciate it regardless of your, you know, specific uh, reading habits or reading interests. You know, this, the story begins, <clears throat> I don't really know why I'm telling you this, but here you go anyways, in case you're curious. Um, the story begins uh, with a boy named Will, uh, who is an orphan living in, you know, kind of this castle area. You know, it's it's sort of like it's set in medieval times. It's, you know, I believe it's supposed to be, you know, in medieval England, essentially. Um, and so a lot of the different areas you can kind of figure out, you know, well, they have the Celts and they have the Scotty, so you can figure out who they are, and the Gallicans, which are obviously the French, and all of those sorts of things. The Scandians, which are the Vikings. Um, <clears throat> but Will is, you know, an orphan boy. And in this series, much like many other series, when you reach a certain age of maturity, um, you be can become apprenticed to the different craft masters, the battle master, the stable master, you know, the, I don't remember, the, you know, but you can become an apprentice, you know, diplomat or an apprentice lawyer, all of these sorts of things. Um, and so he is not chosen. Again, very similar to, you know, stories that you've heard before. Um, but they have this group called the Rangers, who are essentially the hunters and the spies, you know, wearing the camouflage cloak and doing all of that sort of stuff. And one of them hands the leader of this castle a note. And so the note has to do with Will, but Will doesn't know what it is. And I'm spoiling some of this for you, but that's okay, because it'll get you interested. And so Will has to sneak into the castle to figure it out. So he's moving silently through the yard, and he climbs the wall. And of course, the note says... He has potential to be a ranger. I will take him as my apprentice. And thus the story begins. He becomes apprentice to the rangers. And that's kind of how the story goes on. <clears throat> so, you know, and it, what I like about this book is he goes into Jonathan Flanagan, who is the author, Australian, I believe. Forgive me if I've said that already. Um, but he goes into the, uh, you know, a lot of the, the thought process. And he describes a lot of, you know, uh, what it is like to move without being seen, you know. It's not just, you know, wearing a camouflage cloak and, you know, crawling on the ground. He talks about, you know, studying the way the night is moving, the way the clouds are moving. So if you kind of follow the shadow of the clouds, it'll be difficult to see you. Um, the whole notion that, you know, part of not being seen is to stand perfectly still. So if you're wearing you know, good camouflage and you're kind of hidden amongst a tree line or something, part of it is you can't move because movement is detected by the eyes. And then, you know, he talks about the same thing, the inner workings of archery and, you know, just all of that kind of stuff. So I find it very interesting. The interactions between the characters are very interesting. <clears throat> you go inside the thought process and, you know, these two characters are arguing and then one of them realizes they're in the wrong and how they can, you know, so... It's very good. I probably did not sell it that well, but that's okay. It is a it is a good series. I recommend it. It is called the Ranger's Apprentice series. There are at least ten books. I own the first ten. Um, 
I believe they did a couple of smaller ones after that, and then he moved on to do a Viking series, which I haven't read yet. That always bothers me. I, I do tend to get bothered when I'm in a series that I really like, and all of a sudden that series ends with, you know, and in this one I believe it ends, I don't think, you know, they don't like kind of like sum up everything. It just sort of ends, and then you jump ahead to other characters and start telling those stories, and it's always difficult for me to do that. That was the problem with the Percy Jackson series. There were five books, and I read and enjoyed all five. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, now it's a different set of characters. And I was like, no, I don't want a different set of characters. I want my characters that I've just spent five books reading about. And then you come to find out, in the sense of Percy Jackson and the Heroes of Olympus, um, <clears throat> that... It's a different, you know, I'll talk at a different time about the Percy Jackson series, which I think actually they did a very nice job um, with their second series. And I dare say I almost like those books better than the Percy Jackson books, but we're getting 12 minutes in. Um, you know, <laughs> I have a, I was looking around, I was like, oh, what recipe can I share? We literally made lasagna soup again last night, but this time we put regular pasta in instead of, we didn't have, have lasagna noodles, so we threw... And I don't remember the name of it. Some it's it's the it's the long pasta that looks like spaghetti, but it's round and there's a hole in the middle, and it's small. So it's a you know a small type of pasta, and you know that pasta actually works in this because as Mario Batali taught me, not like we know each other, but I saw it in a show or something. Um, you want the pastas with the hole in them, your ziti, your penne, that sort of stuff, is the stuff that you use with kind of like a thicker tomato sauce because then the sauce can get into the hollow pasta and it adds more flavor so if you didn't know that that's what you want for that sort of thing um all right but anyways uh you know my book recommendation this week uh is the ranger's apprentice series if you haven't had a chance to check it out and you are a reader you know it's they're very easy reads they easily fit in a backpack or something like that if you're on your way to work it's something you can read a few chapters of on your lunch break and um but It'll hook you. It'll hook you to the point where you want to, you know, if you're a teacher like me, you want to tell your class, hey, why don't we all sit and read for two hours? I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But you want to. All right. Um, anything else that I need to talk about before we get into? No, let's get into let's get into the week of wrestling. Um, you know, I have been so busy that I am only a few minutes into NAI pod. I am behind on my podcast and I feel guilty about that. And I know other people do, too, because we've talked about it. I, I literally feel guilty about the fact that I am not doing my part listening to all of these podcasts on a weekly basis. But there's just, you know, I literally would have to stop sleeping in order to catch up. But I do. I feel guilty. Like, it's a it's a physical feeling of sadness and guilt and, you know, because I don't have time to do all of these things. And, you know, we really should stop that feeling, um, you know, because it, it can't be good for us to feel that way. Anyways. Let's really, I'm, I'm really, we're at 15 minutes. I'm really going to do it now. I'm really going to talk about wrestling. Don't let me get distracted talking about other things, all right? Will you do that for me, please? Thank you. Okay. Uh, Sunday, Hell in a Cell. Oh, almost a week ago, uh, Hell in a Cell. Uh, opened with the Cruiserweight match on the pre-show. And, you know, uh, I enjoy pretty much everything the Cruiserweights are doing, with one exception, which we'll talk about. Um... But the only reason I'm mentioning the pre-show match is to talk about 205 Live. That was one of the big stories of the week 
I caught it at the end of the day. I think it was Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever day it wound up happening. Um, I caught it at the end of the day. I sent out my usual, when I'm busy, I send out a tweet being like, you know, catch me up. What did I miss? And somebody tweeted about it and I lost my mind. And part of it, you want to talk about internal feelings. I got really mad at myself because I should have thought of 205 Live. That's a great name, and it rhymes, and that goes along with the nerd DC part of my brain, alliteration rhyming. How did I not say that on another podcast months ago when the Cruiserweight division happened? How did I not think, oh, yeah, they should do a show called 205 Live? Ah, oh, I'm so angry. But anyways, um, I'm really excited that uh, the Cruiserweights are going to get their own show. If you listen to uh, DDT Wrestling or a Private Earful, you have heard Doc and I talk about that multiple times in the past that the cruiserweights need their own show we would watch that we would enjoy it and i think what we're going to see and i don't think wwe minds this but i think what we're going to see in the relatively near future is we're going to see people on who have wwe network start to move away from raw and smackdown not watching it uh on the regular if you will uh, sticking to just the pay-per-views, but watching NXT and 205 Live on a regular basis. And you understand that this is going to continue. They're going to have a women's tournament, uh, apparently, that's either going to tape in January or February or March. It's, it's, it's set for early 2017. We're going to have a women's show. It's going to happen, neighborhood. Because why wouldn't it? If you're going to have all of this talent, if they're going to go ahead and find, and I don't know if they're going to find 32 women, but even if they find 16, you know, it has to be 16 or 20. No, it can't be 24. That wouldn't work in a tournament style. Maybe they will find 32. I, I know they're out there. You know, I know there must be out there. I just don't know that they would go through the trouble of trying to find that many. I still say I think it's going to be 16. But either way, the point I was originally trying to make is that if you're going to go find all these women, they could have a show. You could have 205 Live, and then you could have... I'm not even going to try to be creative enough, Women's World or whatever. You're going to have a show that is devoted to you know to just women's wrestling. And, and, and again, the question that I have about this 205 Live, the big question I have is how will it affect what the Cruiserweights do on Raw? Will they still be part of Raw? Will they be separate? Will they be gone? You know, will we no longer see Brian Kendrick or, or Cedric Alexander or the mascot of all things DDT, Lindsay Dorado? Uh, will they be gone and only on 205 Live? Or will they be part of the show, but then also you'll see more of them on 205 Live? That's the question. Uh, because, you know, if that's what they do, why couldn't they do that for the women? You've got enough talent. You know, you've got Alicia Fox, who's not there. You've got Summer Rae, who may or may not be injured. Emma's coming back, apparently, in some form or fashion. I don't know what you're doing with Paige firing her. But you've got the talent. You could actually give them time to put on longer, better matches if you did a, a women's show. And then they also appeared on Raw or SmackDown or whatever. So... I think it could be interesting. Um, I'm excited for 205 Live. I will definitely be watching it. You know, uh, A Private Earful has now become the 
NXT and Lucha Underground show. Maybe we'll change it again. Maybe we'll now just do 205 Live the same way we did the Cruiserweight Classic. I don't know. Um, But I'm excited for 205 Live. I think it's a good sign. I actually think this is better than trying to fit all of the Cruiserweights on Raw. Because I was, you know, I'm my fantasy booking idea... I keep talking about, and by keep, I mean I've sent four or five tweets about this. If I were elected the Grand High Poobah of all things WWE, you know, I would do this and I would do that. So I tried to expand that and come up with actual rules, if I were, and come up with a serious list of rules of things I would do, you know, which kind of fits a fantasy booking thing. And I wound up, I don't want to spoil it, but I wound up going crazy, as I am wont to do, um with all of these ideas, and one of them was that, you know, the cruiserweights had to have at least a certain percentage of the raw wrestling time devoted to it. And the problem with that is, as you've seen by the stats I've been putting out, sometimes there are weeks where on a three-hour show, there's only 45 to 55 minutes of wrestling. In fact, that happens more often than not. Let me quickly pull up the stats that I've been doing. You know, it was talking about you know the the cruiserweight division and how many minutes of wrestling they get compared to the rest of it so here's my quick little spreadsheet i've tweeted it out before if you want it again just ask for it um you know in the last seven weeks of monday night raw small sample size let me say that right now small sample size only seven weeks uh out of 180 minutes of the show, and I know there's commercials, so it's probably more like 120 minutes of the show, uh, the most wrestling was on September 26th. There was 75 minutes of wrestling uh, in that show from bell to bell. The lowest was just the other week, October 24th, 44 minutes of wrestling in a three-hour show. And you know you can make the argument of whether or not you should count commercials. That's up to you. You know, if we're starting to give significant time to the cruiserweights, how many matches are we going to get for everybody else? You got to fit the women in. You got to fit the tag teams in. You got to fit the undercard, the U.S. title, the world title. Moving the cruiserweights to 205 Live could be the best of all possible worlds for everybody. Um, So that was the pre show. Let's get to uh, Helena Cell herself, (laughs) because it's the name of a wrestler if you listen to NAI Pod. Um, anyways, uh, Rusev versus Roman Reigns was exactly the match we all expected it to be. It was good. It was brutal. It was physical. That's the kind of match a guy like Rusev and a guy like Roman Reigns should have. Uh, so, you know, I thought it was a, a decent choice to open the show. Obviously, I've spoken before that I would have opened the show with the women. Um, and I'll probably come back to that point uh, throughout this this discussion, but, um, you know, I thought it was good. The thing I'm curious about though, is the spot with the chain. Now that harkens back to Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine, and some more history. You know, I consider myself somewhat of a wrestling historian, but really only up to, uh, you know, the mid to late eighties and only in WWF slash E. Uh, so, you know, you got to talk to a guy like Magnum or a guy like Mast fan. If you want to know more about the Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine dog collar match that I think resulted in similar sort of chain spot. But I have to wonder, and here's where I put on my conspiracy theorist cap. I have to wonder if that was planned or if that happened on the fly. 
Um, and here's why. It wasn't bloody, but it was brutal to the point where it was kind of awkward for everybody to see that. And I think we all kind of expected the match to end that way. And you can make the case all you want as to whether or not that should have ended the match. I would have gone that way, but I wanted Rusev to win. Um, so, you know, I, I wonder what's what that was all about. Was it called? Was it not? More than likely, let's be honest, it was probably planned. But then the next night, Rusev comes out and is fed to Goldberg, and that's all he does. Was that in retaliation for doing a spot that wasn't approved by the back? Was that not? Again, I'm probably reading way too much into this, and Rusev, you know, matching up with Goldberg is not a bad idea. He's kind of, Rusev is kind of, in many ways, Lesnar light. I tweeted this out earlier that I, I've said this for weeks, months even. I want Rusev to be the guy to beat Brock Lesnar. I do. Take your Kevin Owens idea and put it away. It makes no sense that Kevin Owens could beat Brock Lesnar. It makes no sense. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I'm starting to feel the the <clears throat> energy building up inside of me now. How does that make any sense in the world? Explain it to me. Brock Lesnar, UFC fighter, former football player, you know, huge monster of a guy who has left a trail of bodies in his wake. Kevin Owens brawler, a little bit of a high flyer, but no legitimate fighting background at all. And maybe that's the story. If you're going to tell me that because he has no legitimate fighting background, his style is so unorthodox, Brock Lesnar can't counter it, fine. But you're not telling me that story right now. At no point have I heard anyone talking about how Kevin Owens' unorthodox style is what has made him the universal champion. Nobody. And I know I don't pay that much attention to Michael Cole, but I think I would have figured that out. So how is Kevin Owens going to win? How? 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 Brock Lesnar should toss him around with slightly more effort than it took him to throw around the New Day. Because he's bigger. Yeah, and maybe Kevin Owens keeps getting up. Maybe Kevin Owens can, you know, fight back a bit. But if you put Kevin Owens and Brock Lesnar in a ring together, the actual logical part of my brain sees no way, unless he's going to get a weapon, for Kevin Owens to win. Now let's bring in Rusev, who has a legitimate fighting background, who has martial arts training. Now you've got a guy who can match up physically, who can match up skill-wise. Now I could see where Rusev can actually throw Brock Lesnar around because he's got the training. And you hype that. Maybe it's me. Disagree with me all you want at DC Matthews NAI DDT Wrestling at gmail.com. Please tell me the story that makes Kevin Owens beat Brock Lesnar because I'd like to hear it. It would be great. But for me, for my money, Rusev's the guy. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention about that match is the fact that the spear really can't be the only finisher that Roman Reigns has. Um, you know, the the Samoan drop onto the stairs was a cool spot. I'll grant him that. But a spear? 
He literally, Rusev had you in his submission hold, probably the most dominant submission hold of the last three to four years, maybe. You've got a chain wrapped around your mouth, and you beat him by moving your shoulder into his stomach at relatively high speed. Goldberg had the jackhammer. He had the jackhammer. Where's Reigns' version of that? The powerbomb? Okay. Couldn't do it to Rusev. Rusev's too big. Roman Reigns, forgive me, I'm going to hate on Roman Reigns a bit. Please don't hurt me out there, fans. Uh, Reigns isn't as strong as his body seems to belie. What I mean by that is he's not as strong as you would think he is based on the size that he has. He has struggled to pick up even moderately sized people. You know, the whole idea of the triple powerbomb is you've got two other people helping you. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he could powerbomb Rusev, but I've seen him struggle to pick up people that were not Rusev size. Um, So you've got to think of a different sort of move there. And, you know, I don't want to get into this. This, again, probably will wind up happening in the next by the book when I'm the Grand High Poobah and insist that everyone have at least two finishers of two different styles. But he needs some sort of power move. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I've always said the Dominator would work for him. It was kind of that, you know, relatively basic, just lift the guy up and throw him down. But again, you get to the strength component there. I don't know if he could do it. So I'll have to think about that in terms of what it should be. Um, you know, I want to take Hell in a Cell forward into Raw, you know, uh, Reigns versus Owens, title versus title. I'm into it. You know, I don't like, I don't hate Roman Reigns as much as other people do. If you want to put him back into the main event, sure. I don't think he's going to win, but sure. Go for it. Interesting. I'm interested. Um, I wonder what's next for Rusev, though, because, you know, getting beat down by Goldberg is not a serious blow to his career. Uh, but he's not on the Survivor Series team that I'm aware of, he's not on the five on five team. So what's he going to do? Are they going to have a Raw versus SmackDown battle royal since they got to fill four hours? And they'll put all of that, you know, put all of the guys in there. Hint, that's probably what they're going to do. Unless they're going to have another Survivor Series match, they'll probably have a Raw versus SmackDown battle royal. Everyone on Raw will be in red shirts. SmackDown will be in blue shirts. Maybe Rusev wins that. But I don't know. His spot kind of got uh, swallowed up by Braun Strowman. Uh, which is fine. We'll talk more about Braun later. But, uh, you know, Rusev, again, is at that point, kind of like he's in that same Bray Wyatt conversation where you're not sure what's going on. Uh, Bailey versus Dana Brooke. I didn't watch it. Sorry. I'm not wild about Dana Brooke. I'm not wild about how WWE is treating Bailey. An arm wrestling match isn't getting me excited for a contest. I'm glad Bailey won. I don't know if we see Dana Brooke anytime soon. You know, she's kind of no longer Charlotte's uh, assistant. She's not. She lost to Sasha. She's lost to Bailey. There's nothing else for her to do. They don't have any other women on that brand. So uh, I, I would imagine we're not going to see Dana Brooke for a while. Um, you know, Bailey versus Charlotte. They're, they're setting that up, though. You know, that's that's an interesting story. They've We'll talk more about this when we get to the main event. Uh, but Charlotte's in a very strong position, and that's where Bailey works best is being the ultimate underdog. So uh, I'm into that. Um, 
Enzo and Cass versus the club. Oh, man. I'm glad the club won. That might be their first pay-per-view victory ever. But, um... A trick-or-treat street fight? That That's what you're going to do? That's how much you care about these four talents? That you're going to put them in a Halloween gimmick match? You know who they used to put in Halloween gimmick matches? The Divas. Stacey Keebler, Tori Wilson, Candice Michelle. All of those types would wrestle in costumes and there'd be pumpkins or, you know, some sort of gravy boat thing around Thanksgiving. So what you're telling me, WWE, is that Enzo and Cass and Anderson and Gallows are the new divas. That's the story you're telling me. Just throwing it out there. Yep. All right. Let's move on to Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens, which for my money was the best match of the night. Um, Reigns versus Rusev was more physical. Sasha versus Charlotte was more of a spot fest. But I think Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens put on the best match of the night. This best story uh, was told there, I think. Um you know, if you want to say it was Charlotte and Sasha, good for you. Go for it. But I, I, I'll i put my money with Rollins and Owens. Um, you know, I thought it was great. I thought they both did a very nice job. I enjoyed what they did with Jericho. You know, the, the ref spot was a little um, obvious, but I think it had to be at that point. Um, what was nice about it was you didn't know who was coming because... As much as I'm going to criticize it in a minute, WWE has a unique position in that they have the Triple H trump card that they can play at any point. And so when the referee needed to be escorted out and they opened the door, maybe Jericho comes out, maybe Triple H comes out. You weren't sure. And then when Jericho did come out, you know, I have I have said and I, I do firmly believe that Jericho is overshadowing Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens is still killing it, you know, the whole kissing him on the cheek because of the, you know, locking himself in sort of thing was a, was just a very nice, you know, a very kind of clever moment. And he, he is a great, I will give Kevin Owens credit. He is a great actor when it comes to uh, pro wrestling, that sort of thing. Like he just, he is an engaging personality. The problem is Jericho's a little bit more engaging and is just, he's doing the, you know, I feel bad saying this. He's got the catchphrases down, which work. The reason Steve Austin was so good, besides all the other reasons Steve Austin was so good, is he had the catchphrases. So did The Rock. Did Triple H have a lot of catchphrases? Nah, not really. Did Randy Orton have a lot of catchphrases? Nah, not really. But John Cena does. Hulk Hogan does. Austin Rock does. Chris Jericho does. So kind of shows you what you need. Kevin Owens need to come up with some clever sayings and maybe he'll uh, take his spot back. Um, but, you know, I I don't know when they're going to play the Triple H card. And, you know, I had this conversation with Mick and Brandon uh, just, I think, last night on Twitter. Uh, you know, the longer they wait, the more potential for us to not care is, you know, because 
at first we were like, oh, Triple H is coming, Triple H is coming. And then we were like, oh, Triple H is coming. Now we're kind of like, sorry, when Doc Manson's not here, I feel like I got to do more sound effects and things to keep keep the neighborhood interested. But either way, um, you know, I don't know. I think this might be why, one of the reasons why um, SmackDown Live always seems to win the polls that uh, New Age Insiders put out who won the week. I know a lot of it has to do with timing, two hours versus three hours. But, uh, you know, the main event of Raw, your main event talents, your world title talents are being overshadowed by Chris Jericho. Not the worst thing in the world, and it doesn't involve a chinless wonder, but, you know, the universal title storyline isn't necessarily the big deal of Monday Night Raw. Something to ponder. Uh, I thought giving Brian Kendrick the Cruiserweight title was absolutely the right move. TJ Perkins, I think historically we will look back and say he was not the right choice to be the first champion. And now granted, 205 Live again is going to change things because, you know, the story in the next few years is going to be different when they have an entire show devoted to them. And you've got Noam Dar and Jack Gallagher and the Bollywood Boys and all that. Might I mention... We're going to get Cruiserweight Tag Team titles. We're going to get them. If you've got an hour-long show, there's going to be Cruiserweight Tag titles and a Cruiserweight Champion. I don't think we'll get a Cruiserweight Mid-Card Champion, but we're going to get Cruiserweight Tag titles. I hope Gargano and Ciampa don't just become 205 Live guys, but it's going to happen. We're going to get something like that. And then again, I find it interesting. Now, granted, it makes sense with the three hours of Raw, but you're going to tape an hour of 205 Live after SmackDown, before SmackDown? I don't know. Is it replacing main event and superstars? Is that what we're doing? Uh, Am I giving up the chance to see Kurt Hawkins and Curtis Axel in order to see Jack Gallagher and, you know, Cedric Alexander? First of all, I'll take it. And second of all, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, I, Perkins isn't, wasn't the best champion. You know, he, he's got the cool entrance and he's flashy, but you know, the first cruiserweight champion should have been, um, a a really big name. And Brian Kendrick is a, it has the name value, you know, casual fans will probably remember him at least somewhat, um, and he's got the, you know, kind of indie background for those of us like myself who remember Spanky when he was wrestling alongside American Dragon. Um, but, you know, and I th- I think if WWE could have signed Kota Ibushi to a full-time deal, I don't think we'd have, we're having this conversation. Um, but, you know, I'm glad to see Kendrick being the champion. I thought I'm not wild about rematches the next night, but the whole, you know, taking the count out and keeping the title, you know, the sneaky heel stuff is good. Sneaky heel stuff is good every now and then. And the wily veteran stuff, the things that Doc Manson and I were talking about with Tajiri on the Cruiserweight Classic and Kendrick on the Cruiserweight Classic, you know, those kinds of things are good. You know, he's he's about to roll in the ring and then he doesn't. And I know, you know, he was kind of in the ring, kind of not. But still, taking the count out to keep the title is smart and you know then Perkins got angry and that's always a good thing too so I I feel you know between that and 205 Live I am much more optimistic about the Cruiserweight division than I was a week ago uh, the New Day versus Shazaro 
I'm not sure how I just came up with the Shazaro name last night, but still, uh, it was good. Um, New Day obviously is going to break the record. Sorry for the pause. I was grabbing my water, which had fell on the floor. Thankfully, I have my Nalgene bottle. Uh, New Day is obviously breaking the record, and I would not be surprised, my friends, if we see them get to 500 days. I don't know what day they're at. They're probably at about 435, maybe getting close to 440. I think they could get to 500. We all know Vince likes big numbers, big round numbers. I could see them losing it on the 500th day if it happens to fall on a day where they could wrestle. You know, I could see them them getting that. And you know what? Good for them. Their segment on Raw was huh hilarious and i don't know that everybody got it so give me a second to explain a little history lesson most of you already know this but still um if you're not familiar with those three characters let me start there big e was comma mustafa um Kama was the supreme fighting machine, 94, 95. He came out, he was kind of like an ultimate fighter. In many ways, he was similar to Rusev. You know, he had the legitimate fighting background. Um, He battled The Undertaker. He did all of that kind of stuff. You know, he was a big deal. But then he he had like a cool mohawk-y sort of thing. He shaved that and joined the Nation of Domination, um, which was the, you know, kind of Black Panther group not T'Challa, the other Black Panther group. So that's Kama Mustafa, and he wore the outfit like Biggie had. Uh, Xavier was Papa Shango. Now we're talking early 90s. Um, Papa Shango, voodoo character with the skull face paint, battled the Ultimate Warrior, caused the Ultimate Warrior to like get sick and throw up, caused stuff to be, you know, gooping down his head. Uh, you know, never made it to kind of the big time because he was a silly... 90s WWF character. Uh, And then most of you are probably familiar with The Godfather, who uh, is an uncomfortable character that I'm not going to talk about. You know what The Godfather is. He had uh, escorts and he wore uh, flamboyant clothes. What some of you don't know, and it bothers me that you don't know this, but what some of you might not be aware of is that all three of those characters were played by the same guy. Maybe you all know this and I'm just giving history lesson to nobody, but I'm I'm pretty sure somebody out there is unaware that Charles Wright played Papa Shango, then he played Kama, Kama Mustafa, the Godfather, the Good Father, back to the Godfather. He had all of those characters, and I am a sucker for a guy who can do that. Barry Darso, Brandon and Brandon Mack and my favorite wrestler. Repo Man Smash, Crusher Khrushchev. All of that sort of stuff. You know, hole-in-one Barry Darso, the blacktop bully. The list goes on and on and on. Um, but, you know, that was what made it so funny. And I don't think they said it at any point. But for me, I literally kind of had to put my head down and just crack up for a minute because it was just the same guy. So they're doing all the different things. It Very funny. New Day can still be hilarious when they want to be. They'll get to 500 days. They'll break the record. Life will be good. All right. Main event time. Charlotte versus Sasha. Man, I have a lot to talk about. I haven't even really gotten uh, to SmackDown yet. Um, Charlotte attacking Sasha before the cell fully closed was genius storytelling. 
They had yet to escape the cage. Nobody, Somebody had come in, but nobody had left. It was a perfect way for them to start on the outside. It made a lot of sense. I am very, 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 very glad that they teased climbing and then didn't. I was, you know, and I'm glad for everybody. If Rollins and Owens had battled to the top, I wouldn't have liked it. If Reigns versus Rusev had battled to the top, I wouldn't have liked it. I no longer need to see anyone fly off the cage. All right? Shane McMahon did it, and it was exciting, but even that was nowhere near the same thing of Foley. So I'm done with that. So I'm glad they teased it. Clever again on their part. Um, The powerbomb to the table was a good spot. I thought the stretcher thing went on a little long, kind of took me out of it for a bit. Not that I thought that Sasha Banks was hurt, but you knew what was going to happen. I know Liam talked about this on an iPod. What little I heard about it so far. I'm going to listen later, I promise, guys. Um, But, you know, we've seen it with Ambrose. We've seen it with Rollins. Uh, It went on a little long. I liked what she did when, you know, they tried to take the title away, but that could have happened much sooner. Um, The match itself was good. It was a spot fest. They used chairs. They used tables. This was the history-making match that everyone expected it to be. Um, And then Charlotte won. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful that she won. She took this talent that she physically towers over. She tossed her around like a rag doll into tables. And yeah, they might have not have broke. I give both of these talents credit for improvising. Uh, I don't think a lot of the spots that they planned went off quite like they planned, but it was still really good. She bounced her off of a couple of tables. She hit the natural selection and she just won. And then everyone started whining. Eh, why would you let Sasha lose in her hometown? Eh, the main event didn't end the way I wanted it to. Oh my god. And I'm going to quote Vince McMahon here when I say, Shut up. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You got your women's Hell in a Cell match. You got it in the main event where it didn't even need to be. Don't you dare. I tweeted this out and some of you argued with me and that's fine, but I'm going to say it again. Don't you dare complain that it wasn't as good because the wrong person won. If that's the case, if that's what you truly believe, you got the cell match, you got the main event match, but you still don't like it because the wrong person won. Stop watching WWE. Buy all the video games and then just live in the fantasy world of WWE 2K17. All right. Create your own WWE universe. You know, figure out how to stream it better than I did with my thing. And I'm still angry about it, as you well know. Do your own commentary. Let other people watch it. If you want, if you're going to complain that much, you have to just accept that you need to go live in a fantasy world of your own creation. Because it's never going to go exactly how you want it to. You're going to get most of what you want and you have to learn to be happy with that. All right. Now, again, I said they should open the show. So let's live in a fantasy world of my creation and remove the matches. We're going to the matches are going to happen exactly the same way. They're going to happen exactly the same way, except we're going to take the cell matches, and shuffle them around. I'm going to move the women to the opening, I'm going to move Rusev and Reigns to the middle, and I'm going to move Owens and Rollins to the end. 
Now play it back. People wouldn't have complained as much. They'd be complaining about something different. Oh, the women weren't in the main event, but they wouldn't have been that upset if Charlotte lost. And a part of me does get it. You expect in a wrestler's hometown, in a match of that magnitude, they're going to win. But it didn't make any sense for Sasha to win there. She had been powerbombed through a table. She had been tossed around. She had been hit with chairs. She had been put in the figure four. You know, she had, she made a valiant comeback. The Spider-Man thing was great. She had some great moments. But in that match, in that structure, the bigger talent, especially when it's that much of a size difference, should win. I don't know how tall Charlotte is. I don't know how tall Sasha is. I'll try to look it up without... Uh, taking up too much time. I'm already hesitating here. Uh, you know what? Forget it. I'm guessing that Sasha is at, or at least six inches, if not more, shorter than Charlotte. All right. Sasha's 5'5". Five five. Again, sorry here, but I, I just want to make this point. I know Charlotte is close. Charlotte's 5'10". Okay. So five inches. That's a lot, especially when you consider... The, the then size difference of just the body size. That's a lot. The bigger person should win in that match. So, again, go make your fantasy world in which Sasha's always the champion and everyone you always want to win wins if that's what you need out of professional wrestling. But I was told a story. While I enjoyed Rollins versus Owens a little bit more, there was a story that took place in that match that Sasha fought and fought and fought until Charlotte just said, all right, enough of this. Bounced her off a table, bounced her off another table, although it was the same table twice. Bounced her off the table twice. The table was probably supposed to break and then hit her with a devastating finishing move and just won. Your heroes don't always have to win for them to still be your heroes. All right. I'm going to even ignore. I was going to state the facts about Sasha and Charlotte and the pay-per-view wins versus the Raw wins. I'm not even going to do that. It was a good match. Charlotte is now a really strong champion. And if Bailey can come up and win, see, this is the story. You got to think long term. Let's say Bailey feuds with Charlotte and then Bailey wins. Bailey manages to do what Sasha can't. How is Sasha going to feel? She's not going to be happy, is she? She's going to turn heel. And now we have Bailey as the champion versus Sasha as the challenger. And those two make amazing matches together. And that wouldn't happen necessarily if Sasha hadn't lost in the cell. All right? So you, we have to, as, as wrestling fans, we have to stretch and accept long-term storylines. This is a piece a fairly significant piece, but this is a piece of what I'm guessing is a puzzle. I'm going to make a prediction right now. Let's fast forward. Let's go to WrestleMania. I'll even go ahead and say this for WrestleMania. Uh, barring injury, obviously, I bet that your WrestleMania women's Raw match is Bailey versus Sasha, and Sasha's the heel. I don't know who the champion is. Maybe by then Charlotte's still the champion. Maybe we get Bailey, Sasha, and then we get Charlotte versus Asuka or something. But that's what's going to happen. Sasha will have turned heel on Bailey, and we'll get that NXT feud on the main roster. Long-term visions, my friends. Please, please stop whining. Please. All right. Uh, quick things from Raw. 
that I missed because uh, they didn't necessarily have anything to do with um, Hell in a Cell. Uh, I thought Goldberg was fine. Yeah, he tripped. I don't care about that so much. Um, my thing is, you know, are we going to just see Goldberg every other week? Now, granted, Survivor Series is in just a couple of weeks, but it, are we just going to see him more often? I kind of was hoping he would have showed up, said your last, and then we didn't see him again until Survivor Series. Uh, him being out there multiple times increases the likelihood for problems. And as we saw, he showed up a second time. We had problems. Yeah, he hit him with a jackhammer, which was cool. Yeah, he speared Heyman, which was cool. But there's problems. You know what I mean? When you've got a guy like this, when you've got Mystique, not the Marvel character, when you've got Mystique, part of keeping that up means not showing us it over and over and over again. The Bray Wyatt Mystique is kind of gone because we've seen the Wyatt family return multiple times. Anyways, um, Braun Strowman on the Survivor Series team is good. Again, uh, you know, I'm a little sad that he probably is taking... Uh, Rusev spot, but it's still good. Um, though I don't know how you book it, because again, I keep presuming there's going to be stakes in terms of talent moving from one brand to another. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but when you've got a monster like that, and I think about the SmackDown team, unless it's Bray or Orton, and really not even Orton, unless it's Bray, how how do you book Braun Strowman losing? Unless he gets disqualified. I suppose he could get disqualified by taking somebody up. But um, kind of like what The Undertaker did when The Undertaker uh, made his Survivor Series debut. I just watched that the other day. Um, you know, He gets counted out, even though he wasn't the legal man. But he still got counted out because he was still attacking Dusty Rhodes. Anyways, um, but I think it's cool that Braun's getting on the Survivor Series team. I like this Braun Strowman a whole lot more than uh, the Wyatt family Braun Strowman. So, um, let's see. Anything else? I I have a little bit of a problem, and somebody can maybe explain this to me. And I get it. A part of me does get it. I, <sighs> Survivor Series is on the cusp of being a big five pay-per-view. Let's count Money in the Bank. So, it's on the cusp. It's it's really, Money in the Bank's kind of replaced it as the fourth biggest show, and it's it's still hanging on just purely based on tradition. Um, and they're making it this, you know, you've got Brock and Goldberg, which is a, a main event match, but then you've got, um, you know, the Raw versus SmackDown thing, which is exciting. But the problem I see is we now know what the main events of the December pay-per-views will be. They're not focused on Survivor Series. They're talking about what happens after Survivor Series. They're making Survivor Series feel like an afterthought, even though it's happening before, which is some sort of weird temporal craziness that I don't even want to go into. Um, you know, I I have a problem with that. You should be focused on Survivor Series. And I get it. Reigns and Owens are now going to be on the same team, despite the fact that they're going to fight. AJ and oh, Ambrose are on the same team, despite the fact that they're going to fight. But they weren't going to like each other anyways. Making the matches doesn't change anything. So... I feel like they're kind of ignoring Survivor Series, and I'm not a fan. Uh, Finn Balor is supposed to return in December. Good luck with that. That's all I have to say. Good luck with that. I you know I want Finn Balor to succeed. He is a good talent. Uh, if you've listened to our shows before, Doc Manson and I are not big fans of, of the character and the presentation, but there's no denying he's a good talent, and 
Raw and WWE in general is better when he's here. SmackDown Live. I really, I you know, I feel like I've kind of covered a lot here, even though most of that was on Raw. Um, I want to present to you... Uh, I'm going to heal DC out for a moment here. And I feel like I've done that a bunch. So I'm kind of like drained a little bit. Uh, I tweeted this out earlier. People told me I was mental, but that's okay. Um, I like Raw more than SmackDown. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I like Raw more than SmackDown. Um, Let me tell you why. I'm going to heal DC and then I'm going to try to end this show with being the Pope of Positivity. Um, I'm not going to do emails. That's something Doc and I do together. Again, hopefully we will manage to get together this evening um, and provide you a proper podcast, even if it is just a private earful. Um, We might kind of combine it. I don't know. We haven't (laughs) talked about it. Um, So, uh, you know, so I want to I want to I want to end on this. So these are my problems with SmackDown and I'm, I'm going to be heel DC. I'm going to try to make it logical, but you're going to see this as heel DC. Cause I'm going to, you know, lament some of the things you probably like about SmackDown. Um, your main event scene is built around a mega star in AJ Styles. No denying it. He's the MVP of WWE for 2016, which is a, a sentence. No one ever thought we would say, um, one superstar, in Dean Ambrose, I guess, on SmackDown, he counts, and a jobber, and that's it, Bray Wyatt's nowhere near there, Randy Orton's nowhere near there, and there isn't anybody else, that's your main event, one huge name, one pretty big name, and a guy who is living the first line of his obituary that sounds bad wow um and a guy who by this time next year most likely uh will be a footnote in the history of wwe i'm sorry i'm sorry you're not gonna like that but it's true uh that's your main event that's not good um, we had a no disqualification match between Randy Orton and Kane that has probably taken place at least a hundred times before. And I get that it's slightly different now. And when I become the Pope of positivity, I'll talk about that, but that's a match. Randy Orton faced Kane again. If I had the energy, I would look up how many times they've wrestled in the past. It's been a lot. Um, you had a decent women's tag match. That's not negative. It was a decent women's tag match, but it shows you that SmackDown Live has a deep women's roster and very little star power at the top. Um, We saw a tag team from the 2000s, and we saw a tag team from the 1990s. And everyone thought that SmackDown Live was going to be the new, fresh brand of the future tag team from the 2000s, and I like Kenny Dykstra, or whatever his name is, Kenny Doan, formerly married to Mickey James, or whatever. I like him. I have always thought he was an excellent talent that probably should have had more of a chance beyond being in the Spirit Squad, but their heyday was five, ten years ago. Are they becoming J&J Security? Is that what this is? And a, a, a tag team from the 1990s. You know, the headbangers were big at the beginning parts of the Attitude Era. I'm glad they got a shot, but 
that's what you built a lot of that show around. Two former teams. You promoted Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg on SmackDown. I don't care that it's a once-in-a-lifetime style match. I don't care that it's 12 to 20 years in the making. It's a raw match. Brock Lesnar doesn't show up on SmackDown. Goldberg doesn't show up on SmackDown. I thought the brand extension was going to be good because they didn't do that sort of thing. Um, The Intercontinental title was defended in a squash match. It's not Braun Strowman. We're not building new stars. This is Dolph Ziggler. We know who he is. Why is he wrestling a squash match? And the main event was a match we've seen before because it was the only two guys in the main event besides James Ellsworth. You're going to tell me that that, what I just talked about, that was better than Raw? That was better than Goldberg coming out and having a face-to-face with Rusev and Paul Heyman? That was better than a Reigns versus Jericho main event that featured, I didn't even cover this, that featured a mini little reunion of The Shield? That was better than The New Day acting out the three faces of Charles Wright? That was better? Really? 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 No, it wasn't. It was shorter. Maybe you liked that. Uh, It featured Mauro Ronaldo on commentary. Maybe you liked that. It's blue instead of red. Blue is calming. Red is agitating. Maybe you liked that. But it wasn't better. I'm sorry. I love you all, neighborhood. We are all in this together. But for my money, you cannot tell me that it was better. All right. Taking off the heel DC hat. Taking a breath putting on the Pope of Positivity hat. I'm going to look at the same show, but through a more positive lens. What's happening with Randy Orton and the Wyatts is really interesting. I think we all know where it's going to end. I think this is all Orton's mind games, but it's kind of cool. It's gone on a lot longer than it should. This is exactly what the Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatts storyline should have been. If you remember that, he joined the Wyatts and then stopped joining the Wyatts in like a five-day period, I think. Something like that. It happened really fast. This is kind of cool. Orton kind of being somewhat aligned. Luke Harper being kind of the jealous one who's kind of being shoved off to the side. Really interesting. I do like that a lot, and I give credit to WWE for telling me a story with Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt that has been so interesting the entire time, even if I know how it's going to end, and I'm pretty sure that I do. The women's division tag match was good, and it shows depth. Raw doesn't have depth. If Raw tried a women's tag team match, it would be Sasha and Bayley versus Charlotte and Nia Jax, and that would be the extent of their roster. Sure, Dana Brooks there and Alicia Fox and whatever, but that's it. Raw's got four, kind of, because I'm guessing Sasha is gone for a little bit because she'll be selling the injury from Hell in a Cell. SmackDown at least has depth, so I give them credit for that. Uh, American Alpha got the chance to be American Alpha, and I'm glad to see that. They were gone for a while, and they're a 
elite tag team that hopefully gets the chance to shine. Uh, I enjoy, I do appreciate that WWE is kind of giving them time to get over with the mainstream crowd, but they're just super good. Super, super good. Um, I'm going to skip around here. I'm, the The main event was good. Ambrose versus Styles was a decent match. It The problem is just we've seen it many times before. But still, it was good. And I'm being the Pope of Positivity. It was a good match. And I will always appreciate a good wrestling match. Um, let's get to the best part of the night. The Miz and Maurice. And what I like to call the beauty of foreshadowing. Because if you don't see the writing on the wall here you're not paying enough attention. Miz and Maurice do Miz TV, and both of them are the reddiest reds that ever redded. You know, Maurice is in this kind of fire engine red. Uh, Miz's color was a little more muted. Um, But still. Immediately, you're like, why are they both wearing red? You know, both wearing black kind of makes sense. Both wearing white kind of makes sense. But both wearing red, that's an interesting choice. They don't kind of match. Why would they wear red? And then as they continued on, you realize that, you know, Dolph Ziggler has made an open challenge for Survivor Series to anyone on the Raw roster. Well, now we know why they're wearing red, don't we? Because red's the color of Raw. And I'll lay. I'll say it right now, right here, 8.20 a.m. I had to stop the show for a bit. So people are like, how did he talk for two hours? It's 8.20 a.m. on Saturday, November 5th. 5th? I think it's the 5th. Is it the 5th? I don't know what day it is. Um, maybe it's only the 4th. Don't forget to set your clocks back. Anyways, I'll make this prediction right here, right now. Uh, Miz will challenge for the Intercontinental title, having defected to Raw. And he'll win it. And he'll win it again. I don't know how they'll get the U.S. title onto SmackDown. That's a conversation that we'll have to figure out. Maybe what's going to happen, and this is just me thinking literally right off the top of my head, maybe what's happening is we're seeing the final days of the U.S. title. Because we're going to get a champion versus champion match at Roadblock. End of the line. Maybe it's the end of the line of the U.S. title, because if Roman Reigns wins, or even if Kevin Owens wins, the U.S. title disappears. It's always been a WCW title anyways. The Intercontinental title moves to Raw, which many would argue is where it's always belonged, and SmackDown creates a brand new mid-card title. I paused there because literally that wasn't on my outline. But that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Get rid of the U.S. title. Keep the Intercontinental title. Create a brand new title for SmackDown, the brand new show, even though it features tag teams from the 2000s and the 90s. Sorry. It's the last time I'll say it. Um, But yeah, you know, the writing is on the wall. And maybe, I don't think WWE will offer us a swerve and it'll, you know, randomly be Cesaro challenging for the Intercontinental title, although that match would be amazing, Cesaro versus Ziggler. But it's, it's great. It's great foreshadowing. It's great booking. Miz always belonged on Raw. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, So that's my prediction for that. I thought it was just beautiful. The Miz is killing it. Maurice is helping. Ziggler's doing a nice job uh, as kind of a counterpoint to them. It was just good. That That was what made it for me. But really what made it for me on SmackDown was the big announcement that The Undertaker 
is returning to SmackDown. I think he winds up finding his way onto the uh, SmackDown team. You know, maybe he replaces Orton or something, but that would make a lot of sense for him. You know, Survivor Series is kind of his pay-per-view since it's the one he made his debut on, um, and especially now since he lost at WrestleMania. So, you know, he certainly belongs there, unless he's going to show up in the Lesnar-Goldberg thing, which is just a weird, would be weird not bad necessarily, but just an odd thing there. You know, I've seen rumors about Taker versus Goldberg. I think a fan started that, and it just spread like wildfire. Um, and then, of course, the best news of the week. The best news of the week. And I'm going to end on this. Thanks for listening to the Pontificast. I'm DC Matthews at DC Matthews NAI. I criticize McDown for star power. Eva Marie's coming back. She's making her return. And she will win that SmackDown Live women's title and put everything right again because she is the best women's wrestler in the world. No, that's not true. But I'm excited she's coming back. Uh, DDTWrestling at gmail.com. Keep your ears and eyes open for... uh, New DDT Wrestling, I will dig Doc Manson at Doc Manson out of his homeowner Hades that he has been locked into, and I will bring him back to the plains of podcast perfection. Ooh, alliteration. Uh, I am DC Matthews, at DC Matthews NAI. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the Pontificast. I hope you've enjoyed this week in wrestling. Uh, Give me some ideas for the NAI 150. Give us some ideas for the DDT Awards. And until always, my friends... We'll see you around the neighborhood.